You are listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are going to be a lot of great things going on this summer at Collective, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. All right, so leading this church is like being a parent, right? I've got two kids. I'm not allowed to have favorites, but I'm just going to tell you all, first service didn't clap when they heard that I was back, so you guys are my favorite service. (laughs) So for those of you who went to first service and are watching online, like step it up a little bit. Um, I also feel like this needs to be said. If you've been here the last few weeks, we've been playing these bumper videos um, from the best sitcoms of all time. They're, it's terrible advice. So just, we know it's terrible advice, just making sure that you know that as well. Um, man, uh, it feels so good to be back. I, I love taking my preaching break every summer. I love getting a breather, but I miss being at Collective on Sundays, right? I wake up on Sunday mornings when I'm gone, and I feel like something is missing from my life. In fact, Ray and I, we got back from Israel last Sunday early in the morning, and we flew into Dallas, so we were driving back on 15. And for a brief moment, we talked about coming to Collective. Uh, But after a 12-hour flight through the night and a seven-hour time difference, uh, we got home and just immediately passed out. Like, I missed you all, but I missed my bed so much more. I am so particular about my bed and my pillows, and it was good to be back. Um, Now, before I get into today's teaching, I got a lot of things to share with you guys. A lot of stuff has happened over the past few weeks, uh, and so I just want to share some cool stuff with you all this morning. And and I want to kick that off, but I want to talk a little bit about my trip to Israel. Uh, If I could sum this up in one word, it would be incredible. Um, And I have probably over 900 pictures and videos I could share with you all. I'm not going to share them right now. Um, But I want to share two with you this morning. And so here's the first one. Uh, These are called the teaching steps in Jerusalem. Um, You can actually see there's different uh, like kind of layers and styles of rock here because that used to be an entrance into the temple. When you read about the temple in the Bible, this was one of the ways that they got into that place. And so um, most notably in Matthew 21, there's this story about how Jesus enters the temple courts. And when he's in there, he finds that there's some money changers, some people taking advantage of of other people. They're kind of abusing um, the rights as a church. And he goes in, and we've talked about this before, he turns the tables over and he drives them all out. These are the steps that Jesus used to enter the temple like literally the same steps. These aren't replicas. Uh, These aren't things where it's like, oh, Jesus might have walked here, so let's put steps there. These steps are over 2,000 years old. And we got to spend an afternoon there. And this was the first time on this trip where I got to stand in a place and it literally gave me goosebumps. I'm actually gonna talk a little bit more about these later. So what I want you to do is I want you to take a mental picture of these steps and we'll get back to them in a little bit. Here's the second picture. This is a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's actually two pictures. You can see them right there. Um, This is the place where Jesus, in Matthew 16, um, had one of the best interactions he had with his disciples. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. He's with his 12 closest followers, and he looks at them, and he says, who do people say that I am? And the story picks up. It says, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And and the truth is, these are actually kind of compliments, 
Most people weren't saying that Jesus was a liar or a lunatic. What they were saying was that he's a really good teacher, right? He's a really good rabbi. He, he's, uh, he's like a prophet, right? He's someone that God speaks to, and then he speaks to us in the way they did in the Old Testament. And these aren't bad things to be compared to, but the truth is it just falls short of who Jesus is. And so he pushes and he asks his disciples, he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And this is one of the most important questions Jesus ever asks the 12. In fact, it's one of the most important questions that Jesus ever asks us. Don't tell me what other people think, right? I don't care about the rumors. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And if this sounds familiar, it's because we tell this story practically every single time someone is baptized at Collective because what they do is they repeat something called the confession of faith that comes from this story, that comes from this moment. We have them repeat, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, my Lord and my Messiah. And they're echoing these sentiments from Peter. And what they're saying is, Jesus, you are the one that came to rescue me from my sin, not just a good teacher, right? You are my leader, you are my savior, you are the son of God. And in the story, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And this is really important. Jesus says to Peter, you are blessed, right? You are happier because your faith has brought you to this truth, right? Not other people, not social pressure, not cultural influences, but your own relationship with God has revealed this to you. And then he finishes by saying this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is one of my top three favorite verses in the Bible. And while Jesus is having this moment with his boys, this is what's in the background, right? And so you can see a little bit of it. Like I said, there's two pictures, but these are all temples. In fact, these are temples to pagan gods. And if you were there, you could see a little bit on the left-hand side. I couldn't get the best picture of it. There's actually a cave, and that cave was dedicated to the Greek god Pan. If you know anything about Greek mythology or if you've heard of Pan, dude's terrible, right? Just awful, terrible, mythological figure. But as Jesus is having this moment with his disciples, this is what's in the background. In fact, inside of the cave, there used to be a spring in the ground, and uh, it's so deep that one time they, the story is that they dropped things down into it to see if there was a bottom and there wasn't a bottom. And so culturally what they thought in Caesarea Philippi was that that spring inside that cave to that temple uh, for, for Pan was the gateway to hell, right? That was one of the ways that you get to the underworld. It's cool, right? Again, mental snapshot, take a picture of that in your brain. We'll get back to it. So over the next few months and probably for the rest of my life, uh, I'm going to share more about the trip and what I learned in Israel. Um, you're going to get sick of it, and I just don't care. Uh, I learned so much. But, but here's the thing when it comes to the stories and pictures that I, I'm going to show from time to time in my preaching, um, they're never going to do this trip justice, right? They just, they just won't. And so here's what we're going to do. Um, we're actually going to go. Uh, yep, you heard that right. The trip is literally already booked for the summer of 2024. So in July, second half of July, 2024, Ray and I are going to take a group to Israel so you can experience all this firsthand, right? So you can see and touch the history of Jesus. 
And I know that's two years away, and so that feels like a long time, but trust me, it's gonna go by fast. Um, over the next year, I'm gonna plan the trip with our tour guide, who is literally the smartest person I've ever met in my life. Um, he's an archeologist and a professor and a pastor. So we got all three of those elements into this trip, um, which is why we booked him immediately. But over the next year, I'm actually going to curate this trip with him. And, and we're gonna design a trip that best fits this church. The second reason why it's two years away, he's booked up for next year. But the second main reason is that it's a really expensive trip. Uh, it's about $4,500 a person. And Ray and I couldn't have been on this trip. Our overseers in this church, our management team stepped up and sent us on this trip. Um, but for those of you who are like, I, I want to go, you have two years to save up the money. Um, Sign-ups will start next summer. We'll talk more later. I'm not gonna answer questions about the trip right now because I don't have them, okay? I know where Israel is, we'll fly there, we'll see things, we'll fly home. But um, even if you have like an inkling about this, I, I would just challenge you, encourage you to start praying um, because I, I genuinely believe this trip will, say, will change your life. The, the guy who led the trip said at the beginning, He's like, I think every Christian should go to Israel at some point in their life. And we're on a, on a bus at the time, like traveling. I was like, that's ridiculous. Like, this is impossible. But coming back, I, I totally agree. I, th I think if you have the opportunity to get there, you have to get there um, because this will change your life. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, or even if you're on the fence about Jesus, uh, July 2024, mark it in your calendar and just aim and set a goal for being there. I promise you it's worth it. Uh, okay. Enough about that. I could go on longer and maybe bore some of you, excite some of you. I don't really know. Uh, let's talk about the all-in offering and expansion for a second, uh, because before I left, that was kicked up, and so I want to give you an update. If you are new to Collective or you've missed the past few weeks, uh, you are here at a very exciting season. Earlier this year, we were offered the 6,000 square feet next door so that we could expand. And so as a church, we took a huge leap of faith and we acquired the space. A majority of the cost for this project is coming out of collective savings because this is an incredibly generous church. We've been able to save 10% of every dollar given since launch, and that paved the way for us to afford this expansion. But in order for us not to, expend, to spend our entire savings, we had a special offering where our goal was to raise an additional $75,000. And per usual, this church does what it does, and they crushed it. And so in my last announcement a few weeks ago, I shared that we had raised $116,000. Uh, well, I left and came back. And uh, as of this morning, the total is $149,900. Um, my, my OCD is really messing with me. So I need one of you to donate $100. We're at, we're at $150. I can't do the $149,900. Um, but, but here's a really cool story with that. Uh, the past few weeks, we got, we got a check for $15,000 from one of our supporting churches. Um, they just see what's going on here, and they believe so much in this church that they wanted to be a part of this as well. And so we actually had an audiovisual team here this week, running cables, getting to a point where we can have baptisms that'll end up on the screen, which we're excited about. Um, but the most exciting thing was I came back to demo. So there's demo going on in the building. This is impressive. I know you guys are like, what is he excited about? I'm excited about this. Um, you know, if you are a kids volunteer, this is a dream come true because this is more space for our kids. Um, they've been able to knock that out in just a few days. And so we are a few months away from expanding this space and creating more room for kids and more room for people in here to experience Jesus. 
And so over the next few weeks, there's going to be some changes. There's going to be some changes that you see in here. Um, there's going to be some major changes over there. And so I'm going to keep you updated along the way. Um, God is doing something big right now. And um, it looks like this. Uh, but our life kind of looks like this before we meet Jesus, right? Um, and I'm really excited to see, see what comes next. And, and we'll keep you guys updated. All right, last thing, speaking of changes, last week, CT, when he was hosting, mentioned that we're moving our service times back to 9.30 and 11 a.m. starting August 21st. And so I just want to talk about this for a second, like why the change. When we moved into this space, we wanted to do everything we could to be a good neighbor to the Spanish-speaking church that's next door. And so that led us, collective, to make decisions that made things harder on us. Um, including splitting the parking 50-50 and including the service times. But now that we no longer share an auditorium wall, we're going to push our service times back to the times that make the most sense for collective. Um, to be honest, uh, when we originally chose these times, one of the main reasons was that 9.15 is really early. Non-Christians don't want to go to church at 9.15 in the morning, right? They aren't waking up at 8 going, man, I hope there's church in an hour, Right, And so we're pushing these times back. Um, it also helps our team. It'll help with parking, all those things. So when you come back after grocery store buyout, it's 9.30 and 11. The good news is if you forget, you're just early for whatever service you were attending. The thing is, we know you forgot. So you grab your coffee and you sit in the corner. We're not going to judge you too hard. But remember, 9.30 and 11, starting August 21st. All right, that's it. There's a lot of stuff. The Orioles are one game out of the wild card. I left and I came back. Like, what is happening? Man, God is good. <laughs> that's, that's the only answer for that. Don't, it's, you're fine, whoever you are. You know, go root for the Nationals, right? They're great, aren't they? Um, it's been a while since I threw shade at the Nationals, okay? Uh, now I can, so I'm just going to do it every Sunday. All right, all right. Let's close out this pro tip series. So over the past few weeks, we've been in the book of Proverbs trying to gain some godly wisdom. And in week one, I mentioned this. Week two, I mentioned it again. The main challenge for this series was to read the entire book of Proverbs. Now, did any of you do that? Okay, second service is not becoming my favorite service anymore. All right, so, okay, okay, you're just, you're just humble. That's all it is, good. All right, um, so, so here's the deal. If you read the entire book of Proverbs over the last 35 days, not, I've read it in the past, like over the last 35 days, um, I actually have a gift for you. And I don't want you to be shy about this. I know you aren't reading your Bible to get showered with gifts from me. You're reading because you want more wisdom, right? You're reading, reading because you want to grow in your faith. You want to live a better life. You want more peace. But I want to honor you for digging in over the past 35 days and owning your growth. And so after church today, come find me. All you have to do is walk up to me and tell me, hey, I read the book of Proverbs over the last 35 days, and I will drop a gift card to Mission Barbecue in your hand so you can head out to lunch on Collective. Now, for those of you who didn't finish, you should finish. No, there's no Mission Barbecue for you in two weeks, but you should still do it anyways, okay? Um, and for those of you who didn't even open it at all, at all Right? For those of you who are choosing what Proverbs would say is the path of foolishness and didn't try, I would encourage you strongly to hop off that path. Right? Curtis talked about this a few weeks ago. It's like whitewater rafting, and there's that sign that says danger ahead. This is the sign. Right? Hop off that path, open up this book, and gain some godly wisdom and start reading. Now, to wrap things up today, I want to quickly jump back to week one to remind us why we need wisdom. And so we learned that week that wisdom is not knowing a fact. Wisdom is understanding a principle. And people who have wisdom experience less heartache. And people who have wisdom speak words that bring life instead of death. People who have wisdom 
have better control of their finances. People who have wisdom have healthier marriages and healthier friendships. Proverbs 3, 13 through 20 says this, joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. Right? Wisdom is priceless. Wisdom is what God used when he created the world and chose to put us in it. Wisdom is a gift from God. Wisdom leads us closer to God, and we should want and seek out and regularly pray for wisdom. But here's another cool thing about wisdom that we learn from the book of Proverbs. If we embrace the wisdom of God in our own life, not only do we feel more peace and more joy in ourselves, other people will experience those things as well. And not just our spouse or our friends or our kids. It's actually bigger than that. Check this out in Proverbs 11. It says this. The whole city celebrates when the godly succeed. They shout for joy when the wicked die. Proverbs 28, 12 says this. When the godly succeed, everyone is glad. When the wicked take charge, people go into hiding. Let's talk about the words godly and wicked for a second because I'm sure they're tripping some of you up. The word godly or righteous, as it's often translated here, simply means living a life that's consistent with the integrity of God's teaching. Right? It doesn't mean someone who's perfect, because ultimately that would be none of us. And the word wicked means being guilty of willfully and purposely violating the standards of God. In the Old Testament, it refers to someone who refuses to acknowledge or obey God. In the book of Proverbs, it refers to the foolish one, who ignores or refuses to follow the wisdom of God. Right? And so think about it like this. The whole city celebrates and is glad when people who trust and put into practice God's wisdom and teaching succeed. Right? They shout for joy when the people who ignore, disregard, and refuse to follow God's wisdom and teaching are no longer in charge. Right? Specifically, it says when they die. Right? And this isn't rejoicing in the death of others. It's rejoicing in the death of influence, right? It's rejoicing in the death and, of, and the power of people who don't trust in God and his teaching, who don't live and lead with grace and truth. And so here's what Solomon is saying. Our actions, whether godly or wicked, impact more than just ourselves and the people closest to us. They impact our community, our neighborhoods, our city, whether we want it or not, even whether we understand that or not. And so with that being true, this is the first thing I want you to write down today. Frederick should feel our presence, right? Frederick should feel our presence. Frederick should be better than it was five years ago because this church exists. Frederick should be better because you live here. Do we think that's true? Are we making this city better? Let me ask it like this. If Collective were to cease to exist, would Frederick feel it? Not just us. Like we, we would hopefully and certainly feel it, but would our city feel it? Would marriages in Frederick feel it? Would children growing up in a world that's more confusing and disorienting than ever feel it? Would people who struggle with addictions feel it? 
Would there be a collective-shaped hole in this community if we didn't exist anymore? I certainly hope so, because if not, the question is, what are we doing? Right? Why do we exist? I don't want to be one of those churches that goes quietly into the night. Pre-COVID, 4,500 churches were closing every year, and that's been happening for 10 to 15 years. But during the pandemic, studies suggest that coming out of this, they believe that one in five churches will permanently close. But here's the thing. I'm not sure most of us could tell. And I'm not trying to bash other churches. I'm just trying to have an honest conversation and speak passionately with you all. I'm trying to challenge those of us who follow Jesus. Right? Less churches means less opportunities for people to experience endless second chances. Less opportunities to be a part of a community where they can be real about their brokenness and what God is doing in their lives. Less opportunities for people to pursue faith in a place where they can belong before they believe. So I don't want to be the type of church that's afraid to be felt. And Solomon reminds us that what we do, how we live our lives will impact this city. And if we succeed, Frederick feels it. In Jesus's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, before he dives into the main part of his teaching, he shares this in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So Jesus himself says, we should let our good deeds shine out for all to see, not so that we can be glorified, but so that everyone will praise our heavenly father. So the way we live our lives, how we treat people, the things we post on social media, the way we work, the way we parent, the way we neighbor should be done in a way that brings light, that brings joy, that brings grace, that leads people to praising God. And this is why faith can't be some private thing. Right? There's nothing in scripture that tells us that faith is something that you do in secret, that you keep away from other people, that you don't bother people with, that you don't tell anyone about, that you keep to yourself. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it like this in James 2. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? I want to pause here for a second because I want to point something out. James is making it very clear that our faith and how we approach it either leads people to salvation or it doesn't, right? And it's not that we can save people. We're not Jesus. But how we live our lives can lead other people to or away from Jesus. And this is a big deal. Right? Our number one goal should be to lead as many people as possible to the forgiveness and the new life that only Christ offers. And so James understands that our actions speak louder than words. So he's challenging Christians to make sure our actions represent our faith and the grace that we have received. He continues though, he pushes a little bit harder. He says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Faith without action is a dead faith. And then he says this, now some may argue 
Some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And so James is saying, it's cool you believe, right? It's cool that you have the Jesus piece around your neck. It's cool that you have the scripture tattooed on your wrist. It's cool that you go to church. But what are you doing with that faith? And this shapes so much of what we do at Collective. It shapes so much of how I challenge us as a church because our faith should lead to action and our action should lead to this city rejoicing. Let me jump back to the stories I told earlier from the pictures. Remember the teaching steps, right? Uh, So there's this small detail in that story that usually gets skipped over in Matthew 21 after Jesus turns over the tables in the temple. You see, the next day, he actually goes back, right? He goes back to the temple. And as he's walking in, it says that he's hungry. And he notices a fig tree beside the road. And this is what it says. It says, he went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up. Now, some of you are thinking Jesus wasn't hungry. He's hangry. Um, This is probably like the first documented case of being hangry enough to try to destroy something. Uh, But here's the thing about fig trees. They actually bear fruit two times a year. And based on the season in which Jesus is entering the temple, it was around Passover, the tree should have been ripe with figs. But it wasn't. And so this isn't an off-season. This isn't a tree that's been plucked bare because the leaves were still on it. This is a tree that no longer produces good crop. And so Jesus says, I have no use for this tree. And it's not a coincidence that it comes after he entered the temple and turned the tables over, right? Ultimately, he's connecting what's going on in his church to what is going on with this tree. And so this is a metaphor for people who follow Jesus. This is a metaphor for the church. We are the fig tree. And we are, when we are connected to Christ, we should bear fruit with our life. Are we doing that? Let's go back to the second picture that I shared. Well, standing with this as the backdrop, Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Right? And so when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, the imagery, the understanding is that gates are a defensive position, right? Gates keep people out. Gates don't move, gates don't attack, they protect. And so here's what this means. We as the church are on the offensive, right? Jesus is telling his disciples that it is our job to push against the gates of hell. And too often as a church, we feel like it's attacking us, but the reality is the gates won't prevail against his church. The question is, are we pushing back against them, right? Ultimately, hell is trying to keep us out, It's trying to keep us as people who follow Jesus from stopping other people from ending up in that place. Are we doing that? And this is why we challenge you so often to serve on Sundays to create space for other people to experience Jesus. This is why we challenge you to invite and to tell people, come and see what God is doing in my life. This is why we challenge you to know your neighbors and to care for your neighbors. Why we challenge you to use whatever platform you have 
to pour out grace. We, we challenge you to invest in relationships, to be real and vulnerable and actually have life-giving community. And this is why we do things like the grocery store buyout. We've been hyping this for weeks. Danielle said this earlier. There are over 25,000 people in Frederick County who are food insecure and they don't know where their next meal is coming from. 11,000 of those are kids. And the reality is that study came out in 2019. So we, we absolutely know those numbers are higher. But I don't know if you saw it this week. In the Frederick News Post, they did an article. They talked a little bit about the Frederick Rescue Mission. They shared that food donations are hitting record lows right now because of the economy, while the food needs are up higher than ever. And so we feel like it is our job as the church to do something about it, right? Not just to read the articles or to see the people who are struggling, but to be a part of the solution. And so we have a ridiculous goal of collecting 20,000 pounds of food next Sunday to help fight hunger in our city. And we know, right, when that happens, and we saw this last year, it was great, like the whole city rejoices. But it's about so much more than food. This event is about grace. This event is about forgiveness. This event is about salvation. This event is about life. The grocery store buyout is about letting people know that there's a God who loves them unconditionally and who would give up everything to be in a relationship with them. And that there is a church full of people who've experienced that in their own life and want to bring that to them. The 20,000 pounds are simply 20,000 opportunities for us as a church to bring the good news into our city. It's to put our faith into action. There's one more piece of wisdom I want to share with you all as I close out this series today. Um, When I was reading through the book of Proverbs a year ago, and that led to this series, there was one verse uh, that I remember reading that I've been holding on to because it hit me so hard. And this is what it is. Proverbs 11.25 says this, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. The word refreshed comes from the Hebrew word for water. And so a literal translation of this would be those who water others will themselves be watered. And there are so many things that we can learn from this, right? Like water brings life. Can't live more than three days without it. Water refreshes us on a hot, muggy, disgusting Maryland August day. There's nothing better than a cold glass of water or jumping into a pool or the ocean or something. Right? In Solomon's culture, water was linked with cleansing and purification. Right? There's this imagery of us pouring ourselves out so other people can be filled up. And I think Solomon, because remember, he's one of the wisest people to ever live, I think he understands all of these things. I think, I think that's why he chose that specific word, because all of these things are true. But right before this, he actually tells us how we refresh others. So let's jump back one verse, and it says this. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. The way that we refresh others is through living generously. And I know when we read this, oftentimes it's immediately uh, kind of a part of our, our brain to jump toward money, right? And I think that's part of it. I think Solomon's kind of touching on that a little bit. But if you read the book of Proverbs over the last 35 days. If you've read the other books that he's written in Ecclesiastes and and Song of Solomon, you'll know it's not just about money, right? Because he he teaches us that we can be generous with our time. 
We can be generous with our talents. We can be generous with our empathy, with our patience, with our words, with our forgiveness, with our knowledge, with our wisdom, and with our faith. And when we live that way, people are refreshed. Our families are refreshed. Our neighborhoods are refreshed. Our school is refreshed. Our city is refreshed. And the result of that is rejoicing. I think my favorite story that's come out of our grocery store buyout events for the past few years um, actually happened uh, last year. Uh, so the Sunday we did it last year, there was a gentleman who was probably in his 70s or 80s who had shown up that day at Wise for his personal grocery shopping. Um, and if you've never done grocery store buyout before, you're going to show up on Sunday and you're going to be like, they're everywhere. Like, it's just collective all over the place. And so uh, he showed up and was like, can I still buy groceries here? And um, he saw the balloons, right? He sees the people, he saw the signs. And so he asked one of our team members what was going on. And they told him all about the grocery store buyout. And they told him how we don't just talk about our faith, but we show it. And you could tell that this guy was impacted by this because he began to talk about how he grew up food insecure. He grew up in a house where he didn't know where his next meal was coming from. And because of the generosity of others, he was fed. So guess what he did? He finished his personal grocery shopping, and then he grabbed a new cart. He turned around and started shopping again. And that Sunday, when he left the grocery store, he walked down the parking lot to drop off the food. Our team was there cheering him on like crazy. And this man was weeping, not because he was sad. Right? These were tears of rejoicing, right? tears that come from being refreshed because you're refreshing others. And so every day, right? every day, every week, we have incredible opportunities to refresh others. But next Sunday specifically, we have this opportunity, this beautiful opportunity to refresh Frederick, to show people just how good God is and that there is a church community that doesn't just talk about their faith and show up here on Sundays, but shows it. So let's get after it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your wisdom. Um, God, that we have the opportunity to open up the book of Proverbs, um, God, through different topics, whether it's relationships or money or how to treat others or our words or, or even unhealthy people and boundaries in our life. And we can open up this book and we can find your wisdom. God, and this wisdom protects us from heartache. This wisdom protects us from pain. Um, God, oftentimes this wisdom comes after we've made a mistake, but it gives us a truth to hold on to, to know that that we can heal and grow and move forward. And so God, we're just so thankful that, that Proverbs exists. We're so thankful, um, God, ultimately that we don't have to learn about things the hard way. God, that you went before us so that we don't have to experience uh, pain. And so God, I pray as we, as we read and we finish up this series and, and when it's no longer about us, we start talking about other people. God, I pray that we take to heart this idea that faith isn't just something that we keep in this room on Sunday mornings, but God, our faith leads us to action and our action leads us to a city rejoicing. And God, we recognize that Frederick might not even know why they're rejoicing. God, Frederick might not even know what you're doing in this city right now. 
But God, we pray that you continue to give us opportunities and opportunities and opportunities so that you can be made known. God, so that people can experience you, they can give their life to you, and they can experience all the goodness that comes with that and all the hope that comes with that and all the renewal that comes with that. God, I pray this week uh, you give us opportunities to live out our faith. Um, God, ultimately, as we head into the grocery store buyout, um, God, that people understand uh, that the reason why this matters is because you matter. Um, and God, this, this is just a gateway and a path for us to show people your goodness and your grace. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this church. God, we, we pray that you continue to move in this city. And we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.